Chris Gelser here with Matt Howell. And on this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to discuss the, I'm going to guess, Matt, I'm going to see the revitalization of one of the most popular horror franchises of the 90s and early mid-aughts. Scream is back, folks. And let me say, Matt, what, at what point did we start just using the same original title for these reboots or these requels, I guess, as maybe <laughs> we're calling them now, as the kids say? But, uh, right, because we had Scream, and then there's Scream, Texas Chainsaw Massacre did that, right? There's a bunch of other that are escaping me right now. Yeah. But that they uh, reused the, the original title. Friday the 13th? Friday, sure. Might have been Nightmare the first on one. Elm Street. Yeah. But those are, re- those are straight reboots, though. I think yeah. it's more the sequels right. that are actually using the original titles. It's a weird thing. Weird. It bothers me. We'll tell you also what's coming up with physical media, featuring our straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week. We'll also be discussing, supposedly... A big international Oscar contender with the worst person in the world movie, a mat that was not what I expected. And we'll see if that turned out okay. And then finally, uh, we're going to share our five favorite horror films from the 90s. A list I could swear we'd done before, but I couldn't find any mention of it. Nary a mention of it on the website, Matt, though it could be our search options broken. Who knows? <laughs> Either way. We're going to discuss all of that and more, but let's start everything off with a clip from the new Scream. Most of the Stab movies are based on things that happened here. Define things. Things like a guy named Billy Loomis and his friend carved up a bunch of high school kids while wearing this Halloween ghost mask. And every decade or so, some idiot gets the bright idea to put on the mask, kill his friends, and get famous too. Last time it happened was in 2011. And I got to make sure we don't get sliced up by some lunatic who saw Friday the 13th and thought, you know what? That Jason guy, he's got some pretty solid ideas. He's got some yeah, pretty solid ideas. Matt, let me ask you. Well, first off, set us up. What is Scream 2022 all about? Uh, it's pretty much what all of the other ones are about as well. There is killings happening in Woodsboro. Uh, what is it? Indiana? Illinois? I know it's in Woods, California. I don't know. It's in Woodsboro. I know that much. Um, doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Any town USA named Woodsboro. Uh, there's killings in Woodsboro being done by who seems to be copycatting the Scream or a- AKA the Stab murders in the Screamiverse. And people got to figure it out. The same old people. Same old, same old. You know, mm-hmm. have you seen the Spanish dub version? Oh, I should have pulled that clip. Maybe I'll drop it in there. When the killer goes, just, hola, Sydney. And it's, uh, no. it's kind of funny. No, I did not. Hola, Sydney. Fair enough. Matt, let me ask you a question. Is Scream a fun requel? And what's a requel? Or is this a slog of a retread? Personally, I think it's better than some of the Scream sequels. Uh, particularly... I'm going to ask you to rank them later, so keep okay. that in mind. Okay. But it, it's not great. I think this territory has been kind of tread over by its this franchise so much, and you know it's so in love with its own meta that it's become kind of a cliche at this point. So I, there are parts of it that I do like, and there are parts of it that are kind of fun, but ultimately I think it's kind of a boring experience. See, now I, I'm going to have to disagree with you, my uh, erstwhile co-host. Okay. It is not a boring experience. I don't think it's boring at all. I found it kind of interesting, fun, and engaging. I think we've eschewed the horror aspect of this franchise, and I think we did that a long time ago. These films now are more mystery thriller type things, right? Than they are horror films. Mm-hmm. It has some 
you know, gore, there's some violence and stuff, but I got to tell you, Matt, I don't know if there was really a moment that I jumped out on my seat or I felt kind of scared or freaked out or whatever, right? The whole time, you're more just trying to piece together what's happening and maybe who the killer is. And they've really just wrapped themselves in that. Like, even the poster of the film, if you look it up, it says, you know, the killer is one of these people or is on this poster or something Mm -hmm. like that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what these have become for me are just mystery kind of thrillers and the horror stuff is almost incidental. Well, they even make reference to that in the movie. I mean, there's a, a comment somewhere along the way that like stab is not supposed to be like a, you know, prestige or a scary horror film. It's supposed to be a slasher who done it is what like, they literally call it a slasher who done it, something to that effect. And that's what these things are. I mean, this is Agatha Christie with, uh, with gore. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So do you think, does that work? Do you want more scares and a traditional kind of horror film? Or are you happy with this particular formula for this franchise? I think I would prefer it to be more um, traditional horror. Or at the very least, if they're Intense. going to make it a, a whodunit, to make it at least a surprising whodunit. I mean, because obviously you've got the formula. The, you know, this this film franchise was based on the fact that it's, it knows what this formula is and kind of winking at that where it's kind of sad that after the fifth film, it's, it's basically, you know, it's slave to its own formula where it's like, okay, which of these people that we're seeing involved with are the killer? Cause that's who it's going to be. And it's going to be two of them. It happens every time. I don't know. I think it's not really giving us anything fresh, which is kind of, I guess the death of what this film franchise was supposed to be. Right. I think the third one, it was just one person. That's the one where they yeah. go to Hollywood. Yeah, that's it was right. Just the one yeah. guy. Yeah, it is the one guy. You're correct on that one. And that's to spoil things for this film too. By the way, it's Sydney. Um, <laughs> or it's Sydney and Gale and Dewey. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> they snapped from all those years. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed this film, and it does kind of have a Scooby Doo quality to it, right? Especially the wrap up, you know, with those damn meddling kids, right? But it doesn't pack the punch. I think where the scares of the original. Now I'll say. I don't think any of the sequels ever have. And I still think the first one really works. Yeah. I rewatched all the films in anticipation of uh, our discussion. And that opening with Drew Barrymore, for me, is an all-timer. I mean, right. that really still holds up after all this time. Even though that particular scene has been redone in these movies, even to kind of meta-comedic effect. Yeah. Uh, I think in one of them, too, they do a whole riff where they do... It's like a movie in a movie in a movie. They yep. do it like three times in a row. Mm-hmm. So, still... I think the original holds up. I think for me, this may be one of the better, if not the best sequel of the bunch. Are you really? All, how do you feel about that? that? I, yeah. I feel that that's incorrect. I do feel like that's incorrect. I mean, I don't know. At, at no point where they're hitting all of the same familiar story beats and they're kind of even putting a hat on it. Like they're lampshading this stuff. Do you, that didn't seem like boring to you? Or was it more like a comforting blanket type thing? Probably the latter. And I also like some of the updates to the franchise. I like the, you know, they have this whole, they have the whole rules conversation again. Mm-hmm. This time they come up with the term. And maybe this is a term we're turning out there and I'm just so, you know, fossilized and old at this point. I did I wasn't aware of it. This requel, right. where it's a reboot slash sequel all at the same time where you use legacy characters to introduce new characters to then kind of relaunch a franchise. And I like some of that stuff. I liked how they for the most part, reintroduced or brought back 
you know, um, uh, uh, Nev Campbell and Arquette and Cox. I think that was all solid. I will say a couple things. I was especially enjoyed David Arquette in this film, who I mm. have never been a big fan of in any capacity. Right. But I think that he is actually quite good in this film. I will say the wrap-up with um, Sydney and Gale and how they're brought in to kind of you know close things out, that felt very kind of forced and a little clunky as a way to kind of you know rework in those legacy characters for that final act. I think the buildup to all of that is great. Right. But I think I will say that finale with the legacies just isn't doesn't really work for me. But I think the the rest of it, I don't know, I really enjoyed. I also say Matt that I love the fact that this film takes a hatchet to the toxic fandom. Mm-hmm. I think it does a uh, really has some strong things to say. It pulls no punches about, you know, the toxic fans, your, your, I hate to say your Snyderverse people, you know, all the people like who have real issues with the way some of these legacy characters or franchises are treated. Though it's also a, internally meta as well because they, make fun of, you know, dumb reboots where they throw out all the stuff that makes the original versions bad, right? Right. With Stab 8, I think it was. Right. When he's all ripped and buff and he's got like a flamethrower or a chainsaw or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I kind of, as I was revisiting these films, do you kind of want to watch the the Tory Spelling Luke Wilson version of this film? Because oh, absolutely. Because watching the... Uh, I love those and whatever it was, Scream Two, those little like little segments. I thought those were hilarious. I love too because what is what is Courtney Cox? Not Courtney Cox. Nev Campbell says the end. I just don't want myself played by uh, Tori Spelling. Spelling and yeah. sure enough, I agree with you. I like that should have been like a special feature where they had like an eighty minute version or something, seventy minute version of uh, Stab with all of them. That would be great. I mean, obviously, we're not going to spend that kind of money, especially nowadays. He wouldn't reproduce that. But still, I would love to have seen that. I agree with you entirely. So I don't know. I maybe I'm wrong. I I get the impression that I probably am in the minority about this. I think this is being pretty well received. I think it's mm-hmm. um, a little bit. I think it's a little bit of nostalgia. I don't think there's really anything sure. that there's really anything groundbreaking here. I think it'll be. I think it's exciting for now for what it is, especially the time of year and the years that we've had in the film business. I think it's ultimately going to be forgotten. I think it'll be kind of a footnote in this in this franchise. So you don't think? But wait. So let me ask you then: Are you do you see a sequel coming out of this? Because I do, and I think we'll continue maybe with some of the characters introduced in this film. I don't know. Now, Niv Campbell has said she's open to coming back again. So. Well, yeah, I, I mean, what's I mean, continue with those legacy characters, or if we're going to shift and focus on Melissa Barrera's characters and mm-hmm. all the other surviving ones, mm-hmm. or a combo of both. I mean, look, this if this thing makes enough money, there'll be a sequel. I mean, that's just the way it is. And no offense to Nev Campbell, but I mean, she hasn't looking at her IMDb, she hasn't had a lot of credits to her name as of late. Um, so yeah, I mean, sure, I can see that she would want to come back. I just don't know if I would get excited for it. And I would be really curious to people who really like this. I know we, you know, work with a much younger gentleman who was all about the Scream franchise is, you know, growing up in the nineties. So I'd be kind of curious to see what somebody who grew up with these films more than we did really thinks of them. Yeah. I don't, that's interesting. Cause I, I was never a huge fan of the franchise after the first one. Yeah. Me neither. The second one I thought was pretty good, 
But I do not like that third one at all. Yeah. And uh, revisiting the franchise, watching part four, I actually thought it was really good. Yeah. I was actually surprised how much I enjoyed part four. But let's let's not be so aggressive towards Nev Campbell, Matt, because she was I thought was great on House of Cards before that thing just imploded. Mm-hmm. And she is one of the leads in a new Lincoln Lawyer TV show that is uh, about to be launched, I think, at some point this year. So she's uh, she's getting some work. She's still okay. out there. I, I, I don't mean to I don't mean to besmirch her abilities or anything. I like Nev Campbell. It's just that you know, whenever you whenever you see people who were in these long running franchises who haven't been in something for a long time, they suddenly seem like they're going to be okay to coming back. It's just my cynical take on these things. I think if their quality works, I think they are. Like Halloween. Oh, there it is. That was the one I didn't think of. Halloween. Yeah, using the same title. Well, yeah, they talk about Halloween many times. They make reference to Jamie Lee. It's not Halloween without Jamie Lee. That's it. That's it. Though, I will fight anybody who has any disparaging words to say about Halloween 3. <laughs> Besides Evil Dying Tonight, Matt, let me ask you then another question about Scream. One of the things that always seems to pull me out of these films mm-hmm. is their slavish devotion to going over the rules of the Halloween or the of the scary movies right. in relation to real life, you know, running for your life type of stuff. So what is meta to meta? I mean, I, it's weird. It's the linchpin like of this whole series. It's one of the big gags, mm-hmm. but it always yanks me right out of these movies. And I start to roll my eyes now whenever we go over the rules of the requel, you know? Right. What are your thoughts on all that stuff? Yeah, I think it's getting a little hokey. I mean, I, I don't think you can have the these films without having it lavish towards horror cinema in general. But mm-hmm. um, I, I'm with you. I, I think they could kind of ease up on that kind of stuff. And it's always interesting to watch, again, watching the old ones, how they kind of progress through it. You know, first it's the the first one's all about the just general rules of slasher movies. Then it's the rules of a sequel, then it's the rules of a trilogy, then it's rules of a, you know, a late remake kind of thing. So it's it's all very it's all very meta. Yeah. It feels a little too forced to me. Mm-hmm. I agree. A couple stray things I wanted to mention, Matt. I was glad to hear the Nick Cave's red right hand pop up again. Oh, yeah. That is all, all five films. So yep. congratulations on that. And then one of the things that really stood out to me when I was doing going through all the films again, Matt, was the 90s and the ladies and the eyebrows. We liked our eyebrows thin in the 90s, didn't we, folks? Yeah. The ladies. It was, especially Courtney Cox. I got to know, her stylist must have absolutely hated her in those first three films because I think they do her no justice whatsoever. And I think, too, one of the things that reminded me that the 90s in some some capacity was a special time. You know, Jane, Silent Bob pop up in a Scream movie. I know, right? Which was nice. You know, we still had kind of this innocence, right? I mean, Jenny McCarthy could be cast in a film. Right. There's all these different things that we believed in in those 90s that were just, you know, torn asunder a few short years later. (laughs) (sighs) Overall, Matt, I rather enjoyed Scream. I got to tell you, it was a fun way to revisit this franchise. I am open to sequels. I'd like to keep some of the legacy characters around, but I do like expanding this into uh, new cast members as well. I'm open to it. I enjoyed it. Scream 2022, Matt, gets a B from me. Yeah, I kind of go back and forth on this. Maybe I'm being too harsh. Um, I'm probably going to give it a C plus. Uh, maybe it was just from from having Scream Overload, having watched all these things kind of in quick succession of each other, but I think it's okay. It's okay. 
Mainstream Chris strikes again. Matt, let me ask you. Rank them. Give your scream rankings. All right. So I think this is... Okay, so my least favorite is Scream 3. I think that's yep. not that's not a controversial statement to make. Nope. I would say maybe Scream 2 after that. Mm-hmm. And then surprisingly, then I would go this reboot Scream. I honestly, I'm, I'm as surprised to say this as you are, but I still think I like Scream 4 the second best, which is insane to me, but I... I think I still do. And then obviously the first one is Scream. It's by far head and shoulders better than all the rest. Indeed. I I am inclined to agree that I would go three as the uh, worst. Mm-hmm. Then probably um, two, four, five, one. Okay. I really do like this one a lot. Though, you know, you get a couple pops in me. Maybe in six months I would reverse five and four. Right. But uh, yeah, I think you and I are pretty close on those rankings of the Scream franchise. Folks, what are your thoughts on Scream 2022, the franchise itself? Shoot us an email, feedback at thefirstrun.com. Should Jane Silent Bob show up in the next one? I'm open to it. Does that mean it's a part of the, the View Us universe? Is that is that a Absolutely. canon now? Okay. Maybe we should have done that as part of Screen Run that first season. Yeah, you could have slipped it in. Side season. We just launched our Prometheus episode. Matt with Megan Kearns, which I was of Spoiler Peace Theater, which I was not available for. Okay. Though I do add my thoughts at the end, and they were recording Covenant. I just watched Covenant again last night. Okay. Yeah. And uh, let's <laughs> see how that all goes. That's the last one, though, right? That's the last. That's the last. That's film? it. Yeah. Season two wraps, and okay. we're actually going to do a uh, a solo bolo, or there's the two of us. We're going to wrap up the whole season. Okay. And we're going to watch one of the knockoffs. Gotcha. We're just not sure what one yet. If we're going to be like Alien 2 on Earth, the Italian film, or maybe right. the uh, Creature, also known as Titan Fine, which okay. I think is a Corman-related okay. film. Right. There's a couple other options. We're, right. we're working that out, but that'll be fun, which is good because I just bought Creature from Vinegar Syndrome, uh, which includes a 2K transfer of Titan Find, which is the original like director's cut version of Creed. Well, I have enjoyed this season of Screen Run. Not not only just because I was uh, blessed to be on one episode, but I have been very curious to hear people's takes on these on these films. Good times. Yeah, it's been a fun thing. I don't know what we're going to do for season three yet, Matt. So we'll take any suggestions as well. Back to the show. Here's what's coming up on Physical Media this upcoming Tuesday, January 25th, Matt. A film that was... Begun to be put together and shot in 1984, thought lost to the annals of time, recently discovered, and then funded and finished. So now you can actually watch it. Abductions of young women are still being reported. Another woman with mysterious radiation burns has been discovered. We're going to have a baby. Oh, my God. I can't believe that John's wife was murdered. You have to try and pull yourself together. This city owes me. Well, what's that? Justice. Why won't anyone do anything? We are strong on crime. And together, we have the power. This is a big city. We're doing what we can. Tell the others, I'm coming for this. Who's coming for him, Matt? That's right. Vinegar Syndrome is releasing New York Ninja. After his wife is murdered, a man becomes a ninja to take revenge on her killers across the streets of New York. 
Originally abandoned, Matt, in 1984, it was recently discovered, and Vinegar Syndrome put up the money to finish the film. Oh, wow. So it was shot, but none of the audio was recorded. <laughs> so they did the audio today uh, to, to match everything up. And they got a bunch of famous people to do, the, uh, do voices and stuff, too. And it's supposed to be just a glorious, one of those B-movies, so bad it's good type experiments. Scanner restored in 4K from the original 35mm camera negative. Commentary tracks by the rewriter, redirector, editor, Curtis Spieler. An extended making of documentary with the cast and crew. Uh, a bunch of interviews, deleted scenes with commentary. The original scissor reel VHS, B-roll, and outtake montage. And more. I've heard a lot of great stuff about New York Ninja, so uh, hopefully we can catch up with that at some point. Yeah, that sounds very fascinating. So did they try and follow the original script, or did they just, just like come up with their own thing? No, I think they stuck with the original version. Okay. And I'm sure they tweaked maybe some things here and there. I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I think Brad Henderson is one of the big guys who was behind this. Okay. He's one of the Vinegar Syndrome people. You can follow him on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, but it's supposed to be just a, a whole ton of fun, so... Vinegar Syndrome is also releasing The Scary of 61st. Two roommates' lives are upended after finding out their new Manhattan apartment harbors a dark secret. Includes a bunch of uh, conversations and interviews as long as the Q&A from Beyond Fest from 2021. Criterion is releasing Dick Johnson is Dead, the very good documentary uh, about a daughter who helps her father prepare for the end of his life. Get a brand new 2K master of that approved by the director, Kristen Johnson, new audio commentaries, new interviews, and more. New to Blu-ray, Arrow is releasing Sleep, also known as Shalf, which I think is an original language, and that language is, I don't know, I'll go with some kind of Swedish thing, maybe Dutch, who knows. <laughs> the idyllic village of Stombach is being haunted by a mysterious demon map. It turns out that the nightmares of Marlene are responsible for the dark events. Includes an audio commentary, a visual essay, uh, interviews, and more. Vinegar Syndrome is releasing a, and I'm going to be a little out of order, folks, because putting this list together was a nightmare because Vinegar Syndrome is doing its thing where it's releasing all of its partner label stuff mm. all on the same day. Okay. So we're going to barrel through a lot of stuff. So uh, getting a UHD release is the uh, 80s film Dead Heat. Remember that one with the uh, two cops that get killed? Is it? It's Joe Piscopo and who? Treat Williams? Is it Treat Williams? I, I don't recall. I remember Joe Piscopo, but I don't remember who else it is. Yeah, so a bunch of get cops who get killed and they come back to life. Brand new 4K restoration for that one. Uh, a whole bunch of brand new interviews are included. They're also releasing, that's Vinegar Syndrome, Master of the World. So 200,000 years ago, when the human race had to adapt to their brutal, savage environment or disappear into oblivion. For Bog, the great warrior, this struggle means conquering the earth and getting supremacy over his rivals. Brand new 4K restoration of that one and includes the English and Italian dub versions of the films and more. They're also releasing Fortress of America, and that is with three Ks. Story of a criminal rebel planning revenge against corrupted sheriff and a crazy general who is controlling a secret militia called the Fortress of America KKK. <laughs> new 2K restoration of that one. That's some brand new interviews. They're also releasing Curfew. Two escape brothers track down the people who sentenced them to the death row. 2K restoration on that one. The Forgotten Jolly Volume 4. Includes uh, two 2K restorations and uh, a couple 4K restorations. You have Arabelle, Black Angel, the killer is still among us, and the sister of Ursula. And then uh, along with Culture Shock, they're releasing Girlfriend from Hell. Fun City is releasing Morver and Collar. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right because it's not spelled like collar like you're calling somebody. Uh, Deaf Crocodile Films is releasing The Unknown Man of Shandigore. Brand new 4K restoration of that one. 
Canadian International is releasing the Ernie game. Dark Star Pictures is releasing Coco D, Coco Da. For all the Coco D, Coco Da fans out there. It includes a short film, Puppet Boy and La Palmas. TerrorVision is releasing Killing Spree. They're also working with Agfa to release The Monster of Camp Sunshine and Honeymoon of Terror as a double pack. Utopia Distribution, El Planada. And uh, also The Midnight Swim. Alternate Innocence with Vinegar Syndrome is releasing Pals with a newly restored director's cut. Includes the alternate 1997 Sinister cut. And then that's it. That's all the uh, partner labels Vinegar Syndrome stuff is being released this week. Synapse is releasing Delirium, the Peter Maris film. It's his debut with a fully restored print. And then they're also releasing the uh, film Don't Go in the House, also known as The Burning and Pyromaniac about a disturbing young man who's burned as a child by a sadistic mother, and he stalks women with a flamethrower. Does not seem very efficient. <laughs> Limited edition contents includes a newly commissioned artwork, a reversible sleeve and fold-out double-sided poster, and an illustrated collector's booklet. It's a brand-new 2K restoration of that from the original camera negative. Also includes a high-def presentation of the extended version of the film as well. Warner Archive is releasing Stage Fright from 1950. This is the Hitchcock film that gets a brand-new 4K restoration. And then they're also releasing Song of the Thin Man with a brand new 4K restoration on that one. Matt, you're getting Going Ape, the Danny DeVito, Tony Danza classic with Jessica Walter. Did you ever see uh, Going Ape? I remember it was on, I think, HBO all the time when I was a kid. No, I've never seen it. It's about a kind of a trio of orangutans. They really are the ones that steal the show, Matt. After a wealthy circus celebrity passes away, his son discovers he's a sole heir to a $5 million estate if... He can look after the prized apes for the next two years. Criterion is releasing a new 4K uh, release of The Piano. This is Jane Campion's film. It gets a 4K Blu-ray, Blu-ray combo, a 4K restoration. Supervised by the director of photography and approved by Campion. A Dolby Vision HDR presentation. A couple new interviews as well. Then Matt, uh, Best Buy is releasing a steelbook of The Punisher. This is the Thomas Jane version in 4K. And then your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt. We have a fondness here for Shark Attack 3 Megalodon for a very particular reason, which I will not play because I don't have a clip loaded. Just YouTube Shark Attack 3 Megalodon (laughs) and then just pull a clip and it's probably going to be the first thing that comes up. Anyway, Megalodon Rising featuring, of course, Tom Sizemore. An armada of modern warships, Matt, proved no match for Megalodon, a giant shark thought to be extinct. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? All right, so I'm going to recommend, um, came out recently um, on Disney+, Plus, uh, The Eternals, the Chloe Zhao-helmed superhero flick about um, nigh-immortal beings who are tasked with protecting the Earth, and they have to, again, this being a superhero movie, protect the Earth from certain destruction. I think it's, I don't know if it's the worst-rated Marvel movie by critics, but it definitely in the bottom three. I think it's got like a 47% on Rotten Rotten Tomatoes. Is it that bad? No, it's not. But you should watch it and find out and decide for yourself. Yeah, that is that rating is totally undeserved. That movie's actually I really enjoyed that thing. And this is from your, you know, your I'm not the hugest Marvel fan in general, so Mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's a travesty, that one. Horrible rating ridiculous all right folks let's keep the show rolling let's spend a few minutes and talk about a movie that i totally misunderstood what it was going to be about and sometimes that works out right let's talk about the worst person in the world 
Vad heter det för nå? Julia. Heter Eivind. Eivind. Ikke si det. Hvorfor ikke det? For da bare finner jeg deg på Facebook og sånt. Ja, ja, ja. Det er lurt. Ok. Ok. Ha det. Ha det. Vi var ikke utro da. Vi var ikke det. Vi var ikke det. Nei. Ha det. Ha det. What was that? Like Chinese? Is that... Uh, I think Canadian? it was. Uh, <laughs> was a, yes, I think it was French Canadian. It was it was Esperanza mixing with Pig Latin. Esperanza. Yeah. <laughs> was that the one? Didn't Shatner make a yeah, whole movie did. in that? He did. He certainly did. All right. Well, the worst person in the world. The film in definitely in Esperanto uh, is a Norwegian movie featuring a Renata Rensvi. Boy, I know I massacred that thing. Ooh. So Julie, we'll stick with that. Is a uh, medical student, right? And she kind of is said, "You know what? I want to be a psychologist. Ah, uh, you know what? I want to be a photographer. Ah, uh, you know what? I don't really know what I want to do." She's a young woman in her mid to late twenties, and she's basically Matt trying to find herself. She meets a an older gentleman. When I say older, we're talking maybe a little younger than me. Not older, older, because I'm not old. I am not old, <laughs> but older than her. Right. I guess is our point of reference. And he is the writer-artist for a, a very popular kind of underground comic strip. And they fall in love. And she kind of just grows and develops, maybe in that one clip. Doesn't quite cheat on him. It's a very kind of sweet and scene. And Matt, let me tell you, this film supposedly is a Norwegian Oscar submissions. It is allegedly a front-runner for Best International Feature. So I wanted to check it out. Worst Person in the World is a title. I thought I was going to get kind of this black comedy, this kind of Norwegian maybe it's always sunny type of a thing right that's not what we get at all so what were your thoughts on worst person in the world man another slice of life kind of film right a coming of age tale which seems to be what we specialize in for the last month what were your thoughts on worst person in the world so i went into this completely blind um i had chris said i was like what's the second movie we're doing this week he said the worst person in the world i'm like oh okay i did no i did no prep i had no idea what it was about so i went and watched this thing and i gotta say i was uh pleasantly surprised i wasn't sure what to expect i mean this thing kind of starts off as this zoomer uh millennial kind of like drifting through life like you know the mm -hmm. kind of joke is that she doesn't know what she wants to do and she kind of keeps changing her mind and it's kind of you know she's getting older and i thought that's what this was gonna be but then it kind of turns into this kind of examination of growing up and who you know learning things from people you meet along the way and the kind of things that kind of uh kind of hold you back uh emotionally um from you know your goals and stuff and it's i thought it was a a really sweet um fascinating down-to-earth film i really enjoyed it i mean there's nothing there's no earth-shattering stakes here for the most part um but i think it's a really well done film that is easy to connect with yeah i i matt i find it kind of touching sad Mm -hmm. funny aggravating and uh say a little bit steamy at times <laughs> his story of a woman kind of finding herself right and it's not what i thought it's, it does have a bit of a dark comedic edge to it at times but it's much more sentimental it's much more emotional it's very i think kind of smart and it's very engaging like you said it's easily accessible i think even though it's in you know esperanto or whatever they speak in australia it's still it's 
I thought really kind of sucks you in. One of the things I liked about it, I was doing my research for this is Peter Hall, the Toronto star described it basically as a romantic drama for people who don't like romantic dramas. And I think that is a really good description. Now I tend to love this kind of stuff. Like atonement is one of my favorite films. It's one of those just tragic romantic dramas. Um, but one thing I like the most about this, Matt, is I love how earnest it is in portraying Julie. I think one of the things that gets really right is that we as people, Matt, are so multifaceted. We're not just one thing, right? We're all kind of shades of gray. We're not black and white. And I think the film never gets preachy or judgmental on the decision she makes, right? This is Julie. These are the choices she makes. And this is how things turn out. And I think once I realize all that, as I'm watching this, the title takes on a whole new meaning to me. It kind of reminds me that maybe we need to all be a little kinder to ourselves because eventually we're, we're going to find our way, right? And I think it's a lot of times people may look at some of the decisions he makes, some of the stuff she does, like, man, she's a horrible person, but she's not. Mm-hmm. She's a person. She's a human being. She's going to trip. She's going to fall. She's going to get back up and keep moving forward and try again. Right. And I just, I don't know. I was enamored with the film. It was a really interesting, thought provoking, and engaging piece about kind of that transitionary period of your mid to late 20s into your early 30s and all the challenges and tragedies and things that maybe that could you could experience in that time. I don't know, Matt. I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I think you're. You're absolutely right. I mean, um, it almost seems to take on uh, the title seems to kind of shift depending on what's going on about who it could apply to. Um, you know, sometimes it could be that this is the way kind of Julia thinks about herself, kind of like you're the worst kind of thing. Um, other times it's, you know, the people that are around her, whether they're her, you know, family or her, um, you know, boyfriends, um, I don't know. I think I think the, the description of this is a film for people who don't like romantic dramas, dramas which I don't particularly like. Um, I yeah, I think this works. I think this has a broad appeal, and I think it's kind of one of those things that's going to kind of touch you, um, you know, in the heartstrings, kind of on all different levels. Um, and it's going to really kind of make you walk away from this thinking that this is a real person. This is a real event. Um, and it'll, you'll find something that you can relate to, even if you're not, you know, obviously I was never a woman in Sweden, uh, or Norway growing up or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, you can even anybody can kind of touch upon that kind of like aimless drifting you do in your twenties while you're still trying to figure yourself out. Like, you know, and the kind of fits and starts you do and your kind of dreams that you have that you may kind of abandon. Um, it's, it's all, it's all very real. And I think I, yeah, I think it's, I think I would highly recommend it to anybody. Don't let these subtitles or, um, you know, mushiness, uh, as it were, turn you off. Yeah. And there is too, just to prepare you, if you do watch this, there's kind of an undercurrent of sadness Mm-hmm. That kind of runs through the film, uh, that really kind of gets magnified, I think, in the final act. Mm-hmm. But there's always still a glimmer and like a little light of hope all the time as well. And I think that really is due to um, Renzvi's uh, performance. I mean, she is really magnetic in this thing, and you are in this with her as she goes through and makes these decisions. And some of the 
like the moment she has with the with the, with um the uh, uh what's his name axel mm-hmm. right the uh the cartoonist that she spends most of her time with at the end when things maybe are not working out it's so raw and so emotional and it felt so real to life right where you can't you just have this, this, these feelings and you can't really you even, you know that maybe it's not the best decision, but it's the right decision, mm-hmm. right? And all these wonderful little moments like that. And she ended up winning uh, Best Actress at Con okay. um, for this role as Julie. So yeah, no, Matt, I, as I said, don't be scared off though when I say about this kind of undercurrent of sadness, because there is still joy and just, again, this realism, this earthiness to this thing that feels very authentic. That I rather enjoyed, Matt. I'm I'm giving the worst person in the world an A. Yeah, me too. I'm going to give it an A as well. I think it's a really um, solid, uh, down to earth film. Good times, folks. See, that wasn't so bad, huh, Matt? It's uh, I didn't get what I thought I was going to get, but I ended up rather enjoying it. And you yeah. walked in totally cold. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. I mean, what can I say, Chris? You know, what's the old adage? You know, stop clock is right twice a day. So good job. What the, I <laughs> <laughs> no the joke being that you obviously you make you try and force me to expand my horizons and most of the time I resent you for it so well I'm glad it worked out this one time <laughs> <laughs> this is my, my one, one of my two opportunities in in the year and I already choked one off here in January so that's not uh... <sighs> and see you had to be dirty about it you choked one off oh, I didn't January. even think about it that way yeah what am I even saying <laughs> what does that mean choke one I'm gonna edit that out that is disturbing. <laughs> Anyway, what are your thoughts? Have you seen the worst person in the world? Just an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. All right, Matt. Speaking of choking people, let's go ahead and discuss our five favorite horror films from the 90s. Mm. You know, Ben Franklin once said, eat to live. Don't live to eat. Well, it's an easy decision point. You can either famine or feast. Love or die. Matt, that is a clip from Antonia Bird's Ravenous from 1999. Featuring Guy Pearce, Robert Carlyle, and David Arquette. Hmm. So there you go. But I've always loved Ravenous. I remember watching, I think I rented it on VHS, I think back in the day maybe. And I thought it was awesome. Awesome. Have you ever seen Ravenous? I have, yeah. It's pretty good. And I was kind of looking back at this, trying to see like horror movies from the 90s. 90s was not not a great time for horror films. Well, I think there are some Stone Cold classics. There are. And then there's a lot of chaff. There's a lot yeah. of crap in there. Yeah. I Absolutely. Think like, maybe I'm biased, but I think like 70s, 80s, and then even kind of this recent spate, maybe even starting in the 2000s, like... You have a lot more classics than Chaff, whereas this, I feel like the classics are few and far between, although they are there. Yeah. No, that's I agree with that. So if you're not familiar, though, I don't know if Ravenous is streaming anywhere. It was on HBO Max, I think, for a bit. It was on Netflix for a long time. Was that Netflix? Yeah. But if you haven't seen it, it's um, kind of a, a Western set during the Mexican-American War where Guy Pierce runs afoul, basically, of a psychotic cannibal played by Robert Carlyle. And it is great, very intense, very unsettling and scary. So, uh, yeah, Ravenous didn't quite make the list for me, Matt, though. I'll start everything off. I'll give you the ultimate number one. My number five, 
I still remember this day. I was running a movie theater. I think I've told the story a dozen times, so I'll make it fast. We didn't know if we were going to get this film. It was a small independent movie that was supposedly blowing up the markets everywhere it was playing. We found out we got it. We all played it that one night. Remember, it's time. People don't even know if this was true or not. Mm-hmm. And it's a th- thunderstorm while the film is playing. Just terrible lightning and thunder. And we we light up the projector. Well, we still had film back then. And the Blair Witch Project starts playing, Matt. And to this day, that film freaks me out. Particularly that end scene. I will get kind of, you know, chills or the hairs will raise on my arm just thinking about that one particular scene. So that's my number five. At one point, we weren't sure if it was actually a real movie, a real documentary or not. (laughs) Ah, to have been so innocent in those days. But that's my five, Blair Witch Project. Man, it's that low. I'm really curious to hear what the rest of your your list is. Man. Maybe it'll come up later on my list. So there you go. Maybe. All right. So my number five is... um, a film that I have a I have a real affection for. Maybe where I kind of struggled with a lot of this this list was like, are these really horror movies? Would I really consider these horror movies? But I mm-hmm. felt like I had to put this one on here. So this is Robert Rodriguez's um, love letter to um, body snatcher, kind of fifties sci fi kind of replacement horror with the faculty, starring a a cast of kind of up and coming young Hollywood at the time with Josh Hartnett and um, Elijah Wood. And, you know, it's about a, a high school in a small town that is being taken over by aliens. It's incredibly nineties, but I, I, I have a lot of fun when I watch this and it does have some genuinely creepy moments. Yeah. I think that was out of print for a while. Recent release this past year, again, on Blu-ray, so you can pick it up. I've been meaning to revisit this for a long time. Mm. I remember it being kind of fun. I God, I got to check that thing out again. So thank you, Matt, for the reminder. Uh, my number three probably has hands down the best jump scare in 90s cinema. You mean num- number four? <laughs> you mean number four? My number four. I, I dropped my mic too. And I've given you I've given you a little tip, another little peek into what my number four is. Okay. By saying the word three. Okay. But the best jump scare in 90s cinema. A film at the time when I heard it was coming out, there's no way this is going to be any good. I mean, the sequel, the original second film, is not good at all. Especially coming from an all-time classic. One of the greatest, if not, I'm sure some people feel the greatest horror film of all time. But Exorcist 3 is a classic example of just this kind of classic horror that really captures a lot of what made the original so good. Now, it doesn't have the possessed child thing anymore, and it does miss some of the... Um, it, just, it doesn't have... It doesn't replicate everything, but it, it stands on its own. Now, you have Lieutenant Kinman back. Is this time played by George C. Scott? And he's uh, investigating uh, a murder and the defacing and, and um, vandalization of some churches, and he finds Father Karras is actually still alive. And uh, there's a lot more going on in this film that I will not want to share. That I don't want to spoil for you. But Exorcist Three again, best jump scare in '90s cinema is in this thing. Still works to this day. You can watch the clip on YouTube alone, and that clip alone will freak you out. Mm. But uh, still, really holds up. I rewatched it again. I think a year or two ago, I bought it on iTunes. It was like five bucks, and included the uh, extended or director's cut, whatever it was. So I was all excited to get it for that. But yeah, that's my format, Exorcist 3. 
Yeah, so I really like Exorcist Three. Three. I don't. I don't have as much affection for it that a, a lot of people do. I think it's really good, effective in parts, but in others, it's it kind of weakens a little bit. So it didn't make my list, but I, I do enjoy it. Um, my number four then is um, a film that I had this we- unhealthy fascination with when I was in high school, or at least in the maybe even to junior high when this thing may have come out was. Um, uh, Jacob's Ladder, uh, which is uh, starring Tim Robbins as a Vietnam vet who is kind of tormented by these visions of the war. And he starts seeing, um, for lack of a better term, demons and kind of uh, of other dark entities surrounding him. And he's wondering, is he, is this all really happening or is he going mad or is there some grander conspiracy at work? It's a really really effective uh, use of psychological horror and it kind of is unsettling throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I have never seen Jacob's Ladder. Really? So, okay. Yeah. I'd be curious to get your take on it. I'll have to check it out at some point. Mm-hmm. The, my number three, again, Matt, run in the movie theater, a film that takes the country by storm, mm. launches the career of this director who's had some misses, I'll admit, especially recently. I did not care for his most recent film. But he does still churn out some really weird, disturbing stuff, even sometimes if he comes too obsessed with the twist. Of course, I'm talking about M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense mm-hmm. is my number three, a film that showed us once again, yeah, no, Bruce Willis can't actually act. <laughs> uh, and has, again, one of the best twists of the 90s. Um, just a fantastic film, a horror movie that does work. It's not just the mystery of what's happening, but there are some truly terrifying moments in that film. Like when the when uh, Hilly Joel Osment's kid meets the other kid and they go play in the little fort in the bedroom. Yeah. Uh, just a, a lot of really creepy stuff in this film. Great performance by Tony Collette as well as uh, Hilly Osment's uh, mom. But really, a great film, a mystery, a horror film, and just a film that just drips dread from beginning to end. So that's my three. Okay. Yeah, I didn't put it on my list um, just because I don't really consider it a horror film. Um but I do, it is a really good film, but I, I, that's, it didn't make the cut for me just because of that. Um, all right. So my number three then is the film we just got done talking about, um, Scream, the original Scream. Now I remember when I watched this for the first time, I felt very special because my uncle, um, he owned his own, um, movie distribution business that distributed movies for the, um, Southeast. He made his money on horror uh-huh. films and, um, well, pornography as well. <laughs> distributing those, um, back when they were only in theaters. But he distributed things like Nightmare on Elm Street, the original Halloween. And he ended up working for his company, ended up kind of being the exclusive distributor for a little company called Miramax. And for the record, he hated both of the Weinsteins from day one, um, being it from, from, uh, from the stories that he has told. But my cousin, I went down there for summer vacation. My cousin pulled out this VHS tape and says, here's a new film that uh, Uncle B is going to be putting out. Let's watch it. And it ended up being a screener for Scream. And um, oh, wow. and I saw it probably two or three months before it came out. And it was it, it was so good. It blew me away. I was It was really the kind of breath of fresh air that I was looking for. And I think I really have a real affection for that film. Um, and I felt like I was a part of a secret club watching this thing before it came out. So it's my number three. That is awesome. Yeah. That is a cool story. Yep. Nice. All right. My number two then is... One of the first, man, is it the first? Yeah, I guess it's one of the first Japanese films I ever saw. Now, 
I was thinking of going with Ringu, mm-hmm. but I didn't actually watch it, I think, until the early aughts. I didn't watch it until I saw the original, which I think, uh, I should say the original. I watched the U.S. remake, I should say. So, and I think that was, what, the early aughts when mm-hmm. uh, The Ring came out? Yeah, it was. Was it the early aughts? Yeah, the, the, so, the American version, yeah. Yeah. So, but I did see uh, Audition. Mm. Takashi Miike's film, which is... Whew. What's so great about Audition is how it kind of just sneaks up behind you and it just punches you in the face. There's this moment... So, there's this widow and he's trying to kind of meet the next person. So, he has a buddy of his who does a fake game show casting thing and he's able to kind of preemptively scat out these women that he may want to date and he thinks he meets or finds the right one. But he does not. And has one of the most disturbing kind of final acts of any film I've ever seen. And it's one of those that just sticks with you forever. And that was my introduction to Kashimike's work. And I'll never forget it. So Audition is my number two. Yeah, it's my number two as well. Um, Audition is a fantastic piece of horror that, as Chris says, it goes on and on and on. And you think it's something completely different. Then all of a sudden you start getting these inklings that something's not quite right. And there's a phone call and a bag and things just kind of go crazy from there on out. And it is, it is a disturbing, disturbing film. And it really kind of brought to light for me as a young man, um, the kind of depravity that's out there in, in foreign horror films. Yeah. It really, I think lit my fire for, uh, Asian horror. So, I'm getting a chill just thinking about it now. All right. Well, I am shocked then that this film didn't make your list. And I think it's going to end up being because you're not going to consider it a horror film. Okay. But I th- I do. And that is Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a kind of a mystery thriller aspect to it? Sure. But I think there is no denying that Silence of the Lambs is a horror film. Considering just the terrifying nature of this film. Anthony Hopkins' Oscar-winning portrayal as Hannibal Lecter. Really, just it's a terrifying film from beginning to end, and particularly that end scene in the dark with the night vision when uh Buffalo Bill is mm-hmm. able to kind of you know stalk her in the dark, and it is just another deeply unsettling, shocking procedural kind of mystery <laughs> horror film. And I think it deserves to be number one on my list. So, there you go. What yeah, you? I okay. didn't include it on my list because you're right, I don't consider it necessarily a horror film, I consider it more of like a procedural thriller, like you said. If I did consider it a horror film, I would definitely put it number one because it is an absolutely fantastic film. Um, But I have to, my number one, shockingly, is Chris's number five, and that's The Blair Witch Project. I, you cannot, I cannot overstate what kind of zeitgeist this film had in the 90s. Like, Mm. this was really one of the first, um, you know, guerrilla marketing campaigns where people were not even sure what was going on. I mean, one of the people I went and saw this was like thought this thing was actually real and she was like crying when she like left the theater because she was so freaked out about it. Um, And, you know, just the whole found footage aspect of it. And yeah, you know, obviously we've seen it a lot since then. Um, You know, the acting can be a little amateurish at times, but honestly, this is a masterclass and like not showing uh, and having your mind fill in the terrifying blanks. I thought it was for what it was and what it was able to capture in that moment. It is a fantastic uh, piece of achievement in horror cinema. There you go. Agreed. All right, Matt, 
Honorable mentions. What do you got? Uh, honorable mentions. Um, Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. I think is a much maligned huh. uh, film. I really enjoyed that, and I still really enjoy that. Um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I think is probably one of the more solid of the uh, of the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. Maybe even the best one. Um, what else we haven't we mentioned? Uh, Interview with the Vampire. I think is a really hmm. underappreciated kind of gothic uh, vampire story. I know a lot of people give it hate because of how kind of moody and the actors it's playing and all that kind of what it cliches it kind of revealed about vampires but Anne rice is really the kind of first one who kind of set that foundation for better or worse so it is what it is and i guess i'll lastly follow up with um i really like tim burton's sleepy hollow a lot too i think that's a really good yeah. film i think it's a really stylized take on a classic legend I think those are good picks, Matt. I would throw in uh, Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about gothic horror? I rather enjoy that one as well, even with uh, Keanu Reeves's on again, off again <laughs> accent. Uh, Tom Savini's Night of the Living Dead remake, yep. I think, is a lot of fun and has some great gore effects in it. Elbow Ferreira's take on Invasion of the Body Snatchers mm-hmm. is great. I think that one's just called Body Snatchers with Gabriel Anwar. Ticks is a great B horror film that I think Vinegar Syndrome recently put out a special edition of, which I bought, which I'm very excited. I have yet to watch it, of course. I talked about Ravenous. Um, Michelle Sauvé's Cemetery Man featuring Rupert Everett was a favorite of mine in the 90s. You ever seen Cemetery Man? I haven't. I haven't seen Ticks either. Oh, good, good stuff. Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, which is a wonderful gore fest if you haven't seen it. Del Toro, a pair of Del Toro films, Matt, for me, Kronos and um, Mimic. Mm. One was a Spanish film, and then Mimic is, uh, his, uh, is it his first U.S. film? I think so. I think it is his first English language film, yeah. Yeah, Mia Servino stars in Mimic. That's a great, if you if you don't, if you like, well, if you don't like bug <laughs> kind of horror, uh, then Mimic is a good, t- team that up with Tick, she'll have a great time. And then speaking of which, Arachnophobia is a great one. If you have, I think with spiders, which I do. I know Kingdom of the Spiders, the Shatner movie, freaked me out as a kid, man. I don't know if you've ever seen Kingdom of the Spiders. But yeah. Arachnophobia is really just unsettling. And then finally, I had Ringu up there as well, the uh, original version of the Ringu. Very nice. And I think, folks, um, with between our honorable mentions and our lists, that's all the 90s horror you need to watch. There's really not yeah. much else out there. <laughs> no. And that's pretty much it. So uh, write them down, check them out. What are your pictures? And email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, next week, we're supposed to be doing Drive My Car as well as The Tender Bar. Mm-hmm. So um, limited release right now for Drive My Car, finally hitting us. Tender Bar available on Amazon Prime. Ben Affleck supposedly getting a lot of uh, praise for his role in that film, though nothing will beat, of course, his performance in The Last Duel of this past year, but we'll see. In the meantime, you can check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you'll find us. Head over to Apple Podcasts and uh, give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. And in the meantime, take care of yourselves. We're going to go ahead and take an experiment break. We love you very much. Get your vax. Get boosted. Take care. He's an absentee landlord. Worship that never. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven, is that it? Why not? I'm here on the ground with my nose in it since the whole thing began. I've nurtured every sensation man has been inspired to have. 
I cared about what he wanted and I never judged him. Why? Because I never rejected him. In spite of all his imperfections, I'm a fan of man. I'm a humanist. 